Well, welcome again. And as again, my name is Paul Stiver. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Lower Town. I'm on staff with Hope. Uh, I'm really glad to see everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, we are now in week seven. There's only one left. It's kind of sad that it's coming to an end of our Stories in Stained Glass Summer Sermon Series. So we've, if you've been with us, we've been looking at different stained glass windows from around the room uh, and kind of talking about what inspired those windows, what kind of motivated or, or led to those windows being put up. And Brian and I have really enjoyed this series. We've had a blast uh, teaching through these. Uh, and we are getting ready, though, now for our upcoming series, all of August, five weeks. We're going to talk about the doctrine of the church. It's, it's going to be called What's in a Name? And we're going to take names that the church has given in the New Testament. We're going to see how does that apply, and then how does that apply to us? And it's going to be really fun as we kind of look forward to the fall and everything coming up here at Hope Lower Town. Uh, this is a picture of a video game that I just bought. The only gaming system that I own is a Nintendo 64, uh, which is old. And I bought this golf game. It's called, like I think, Wiley Country Club. Uh, I just looked for a golf game for N64. I bought it used. It came just the cartridge. Uh, and I, the reason why I put this up here is uh, this, there's a lot of story with this game. Uh, but basically, I started playing it. And it is the hardest game I've ever played. I cannot, I am so bad at this game. Allison was watching me play the other day. And I, because uh, normally with a game like this, you bring the thing, bring the back all the way in the power wheel, and then it comes back around, and you want to get it right in that little red stripe on the bottom. You want to stop it, and then you hit a perfect shot that you planned. And I can't do it. And you just, it's so narrow, and if you miss just slightly, your shot is terrible. And I, so I'm playing and Allison's watching and I get behind a tree and I'm like, oh, it's okay. I t I'll turn all the way to the side and I'll hit it into the fairway, just a soft chip. So I go and it's a full swing and it hits right back into the tree and goes nowhere. And Allison is dying laughing, watching me fail at this. And, and the reason, like I bring this up is I bought the game. It didn't come with a manual. And we're going to look at this window now today. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, today's sermon is just called Seeing God, and we're looking at this window in particular. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I think what can happen is we can tend to just think the Bible is only a manual for life. I just go to the Bible. It's like my, if I'm working on my car, I go to the, the car manual, and I figure out how to work on my car based on what the manual says. And, and if I need spiritual help, I just go to the Bible as a manual for my life. Now, it definitely is that. It definitely, the Bible definitely does guide us spiritually, but it's more than that. The Bible is actually revelation from God. It's him disclosing himself to us through the words of scripture. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to figure out this window and why does this matter? And it comes from Matthew 5, 8 in the, in the Beatitudes, if, if you're familiar with the Bible. And it just says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so this is a challenging, when we come to the Beatitudes, it's a challenging verse. When I read this first, I, I took it in a religious way. I looked at this verse and I said, okay, I, will, I have to make my heart pure. And if I can do that, then I'll see God. I've got to get good enough, pure enough in heart to see God. We could read this in an irreligious way and say, well, my heart, my heart is pure. So I'm just going to follow my heart, and that will lead me where I want to go. 
And either of those approaches, though, integrity and alignment, that's, that's kind of what that purity means. It means unmixed, fully devoted, singular focused. Either of those, the power for integrity relies on you. I have to make my heart pure, or my heart is already pure. You're looking at yourself. But is there another way to read this? Is there another way to read these Beatitudes? And we're, just because we have to place our verse in its context, we'll start in the Beatitudes. If, for those that are familiar, this is the... Uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 in Matthew's gospel account. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is going to start teaching us uh, some things about what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is described different ways. And so he goes up on this mountain and if we're familiar, we remember there's a similar story in the Bible of a mountain. Actually, Moses goes up on a mountain and he, and he gives the Ten Commandments to the people. And I think what we can tend to do is go one for one and say, okay, therefore now the Beatitudes are Jesus giving updated commandments. He's telling us now what we have to do in order to be in the people of God. But if we listen for that, that's actually making us a new law and saying, I, I have to perform or I'm not accepted. But is there something more? And one other thing we have to look at, who is he speaking to? Right there in verse one and then even into two, it says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now certainly it's described as there's a large crowd there, but he's teaching to his disciples. And the questions are, is this a new law that we have to obey to be in the kingdom? Is this some sort of divine life that I just have to tap into and then I'm kind of on par with what God's all about? Or is this a description, are these Beatitudes and the rest of this sermon, a description of what it looks like when you've really encountered God. When you've actually come to see him face to face and understand just how good his grace is and you start to live in a different way because you've been transformed by that and that's what I'm gonna argue the Beatitudes are. So let's get into these real quick. It says now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will, show, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking all of these Beatitudes. I would take probably another entire sermon series to really look at all these. I do want to say one thing about these last two. Uh, we got to read these last two right. Uh, when Jesus says persecuted, he says persecuted because of righteousness. Persecuted because of me. Persecuted not because we're being jerks, but because we're being godly. So we've got to get persecution in its right context. That's my one sidebar for this when we go through the Beatitudes. Uh, but we really are looking at blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. We're seeing it in that package of the Beatitudes. And we see in this passage, this is a state of blessedness. We see that it's 
there's a purity of heart and that there's a result, that there, that there will be a vision of God, that you will see God. And that's really where we're going to spend our time today. We're going to look at just the heart, how the Bible talks about the heart. And then we're going to talk about and, and kind of look at what does it look like to see God? And so let's look at the heart real quickly. So one of the ways the heart is described, actually the, the central way the heart is described in the Bible, and I made this fun little graphic uh, for us, is just the, the mind, the will, the affections, and the conscience. All right, what do those big words mean? The mind is just, what do you think about? How do you discern? How do you process? The will, what do you choose to do? What are your actions? Affections, what do you love? What, is it, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What excites you and what do you have passion for and then kind of at the end you have your conscience which tells you all those things you think about all the things you do all the things you love the conscience is telling you whether you're right in doing those or wrong in doing those kind of is that is that good are you are you in alignment with who you say you are or are you out of alignment with who you say you are and just to to further fill this out one of the ways that another way that the heart is described in the bible uh in in proverbs is this kind of a fountain out of like an overflow, the things that come out of your heart. Uh, Jeremiah 17, the heart is described as it's wicked and who can understand it? God is, God is wondering, who can understand this heart? But then Jesus also teaches where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The things that you prize most are actually where your heart is. And to give an illustration of that, me and Allison have our, our kind of our family budget, but on the side of that, we each get money each month that we call our personal money. And if you look at my personal money, you can tell some things about my heart. You just can't. If you look at it, all it really is is me spending money on fishing stuff and stops at Quick Trip. Fishing stuff because I love fishing and it's fun, and Quick Trip because it's the best gas station that ever existed. Um, but what, so, but what, there's more behind that. That isn't just my mind. Well, that isn't just, oh, Paul loves fishing. He goes fishing. Why do I love fishing? And if we go down some of the real reasons why I enjoy it, yeah. But I also, I really like the autonomy because it's on Fridays when I have nothing expected of me. Allison is working and I can just kind of go do my own thing. I get to choose what I want to do. And I get to go, and, I, if, and I, it's a little bit of pride, too, because I, I sometimes catch fish, and I can be good at it at times. And I'm like, look, how, look at that. Look, look what I just did. That's a big fish I just caught. So there's, there's more underlying it than I just love fishing. That's how the Bible talks about the heart. Another way that Jesus talks about the heart is in that fountain-flowing manner. And this is from Matthew chapter 15. And in the context of this, I kept it really short. Uh, for time's sake, for the heat's sake, and everything else. But the context of this passage is Jesus' disciples are eating without washing their hands. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious rulers of that time, can't believe it. And Jesus wants to teach them something that it's not about the outside, but the inside. And when he gets to his main point, he says this. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And we hear that language defile, that's a, that can be similarly impurity. And Jesus is saying it's what's inside you and what then overflows in your actions and your, and your sins that come out of your heart that make you impure, not the external, 
In the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us that the law didn't go deep enough. He tells us that if you even look at a woman with adultery in your heart, or you've looked at her with lust in your heart, he takes it beyond just a simple command to into the heart. So we've got to see the gospel, the work of Christ, is concerned with our hearts and not our outer person. Let's go further with that. A couple woes. Jesus gets to this culmination point with the Pharisees, these religious people in the Gospel of Matthew. And he he gets this culmination. He pronounces woes on them. And I'm going to show two here. The first one he says, starting in chapter 23, verse 25, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will be cl- also be clean. So even in thinking about the heart, we see this, he, calls it, he says, greed and self-indulgence. And we go back to the heart, we see that's, that's desires, that's thoughts, that's your choices. That, that's in your heart that you would have greed and self-indulgence. And then we get the conscience here that there's this, he calls a blind Pharisee, there's a spiritual blindness, an inability to see that it's the inside that matters. And that's the conscience. Their conscience is testifying to them that they're good, even though the inside is in turmoil. Similarly, further on here in verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, we've got to remember something. I've talked about it before here, that the Pharisees are the cream of the crop. They're as good as it gets. They're the holiest of the holy in Jesus' day. And he tells them, you're dead inside. You might look nice on the outside, but inside, hypocrisy, wickedness. Your heart is far from God. And if they're the best of the best and their heart is far from God, what hope is there for any of us? We've got to see this about God. He's not impressed with our outward appearance. Over and over again, the Bible teaches us that God sees the heart. And when he looks at the heart of human beings, he sees corruption and sin. He sees people bent on rebelling against him, rejecting worship of him, trusting in him. We see that our hearts are corrupted. That our hearts are not pure. Our hearts are full of greed, self-indulgence, hypocrisy, wickedness. If, I, if that, that hasn't made the case for you enough, maybe these things will. Think about the way, maybe you had roommates or maybe you have roommates now. Think about the way you feel when they leave a dish undone in the sink. How much you really, if you're honest, you are so, you despise them for doing that. I would never do that. Don't they, don't they care? Or maybe when you scroll social media and you see somebody's political posts that you disagree with and think, oh, what's wrong with them? I would never think that. How could they think that way? Don't post weird stuff on social media, though. I will say that. Don't do that. Uh, or traffic when you get cut off. I, I guarantee none of us is like, oh, they probably just didn't see me. It's all good. No, horn, 
hammered. They're the worst person ever, right? Or just one for me. I, this, this is how I know my heart is still corrupt in some ways. And we'll get to how, how God works on our hearts. But I, uh, when, when I say something to someone and they don't quite hear me, I say, what'd you say? And I have to repeat myself. I am offended. How could you not have heard me the first time? All right, let me descend from my throne and repeat myself to you. Honestly, that, I'll know when I've arrived when someone says, I'm sorry, what'd you say? And I'm like, oh, no problem, let me repeat it. But I'm not there, my heart is corrupted. So we look at this passage again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And now we're asking, okay, how do I have a pure heart? What is, will I ever be able to see God? And I want to think about that by going to a parable in Luke's gospel, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Jesus continues, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we've got this Pharisee, this, this upright person seen by everyone as righteous that gets up and prays about how great he is. And we've got a tax collector who won't even look up to heaven and ask God for mercy. And we've got to ask ourselves, who sees themselves more clearly? Who sees God more clearly, the Pharisee or the tax collector? And we actually get some help from the Beatitudes when we see these verses, especially verse four. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's kind of a weird thing to say, Jesus. What do you mean? What, what are they mourning? They're mourning their sin. They're mourning the fact that they sin. They're mourning the fact that they ever desired to sin. They're mourning the fact that they had a sinful nature in the first place. They're lamenting. They hate the fact that they're sinners. And he says, those are people who actually see themselves clearly. Those are people who actually see God. One example of this is, is the apostle Peter. He's fishing and he's not catching any fish. Jesus shows up on the beach and he says, hey, toss your net. This, Jesus is amazing, by the way. I just have to say that. But he's like, hey, Peter, just throw your nets over that side. Peter pulls up uh, a cascade of fish. Nets are filling and overflowing. And he realizes that he's in the presence of something different. He's in the presence of God. And he says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. When he's face to face with God, he sees himself clearly. 
But there's a fundamental difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector and how they see themselves. The Pharisee saw himself as righteous and boasted of his goodness. But the tax collector saw himself as a sinner and mourned. Which of these two sounds more like you today? Which sounds more like us as a church? I, uh, this, is one, this is another sidebar. I will say this. I hope it's the latter because self-righteousness will sink this church. If we look down on others because they're different than us, if we look down on others who don't believe everything we believe, if we look down on others who don't agree with everything that we say, if we look down on others because we're better than them, if we compare ourselves across even the members of our church and, and gossip and find ways to put them down and exalt ourselves, we can't coexist. We can't be who God's called us to be. But if we can see ourselves as a band of sinners, mourning together the fact that we've been sinners, that we are still sinners, lamenting our sin, showing mercy and pointing to Jesus, God can really show up. We can be a beautiful church. All right, that's a sidebar. Let's get back to the parable. Again, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, the sign of lament, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's something we can learn from this prayer of lament. Again, because the Pharisees saw God now. How do we see God? The Pharisees saw God as one who blesses the good. God, I'm good, so make it rain. The Pharisees saw God as transactional. I bring my good deeds to him, and he pays me back with blessing. But the tax collector saw God as merciful. He saw him as gracious, as one to be appealed to for mercy. How do you see God? How do I see God? Do I see God as just someone I bring good things to so that he blesses me? And then if he doesn't bless me, the problem's on him? Or do I see God as gracious, as having mercy, as being favorable to the undeserving? How, who sees God more clearly, the Pharisee or the tax collector? And I just want to look at two passages from the Old Testament where something about who God is is revealed. From Exodus chapter 34, Moses is, the people are rebelling against God and Moses is interceding in prayer. And when he does that, he also makes a bold ask of God. He says, I want to see you. I want to see you. And God says, man cannot look on me and live, but but he does something. We actually have a window where at the cleft of the rock, he puts him in the rock and then passes by. And Moses sees his glory or what emanates from God, but he doesn't see God. It says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Or the big word, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. 
yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We don't have time to get into the last part of that verse. God actually uh, speaks differently about that later in the Old Testament and says each person will be responsible for their own sin. But we've got to see here in this passage, when God comes to Moses, Moses says, show me who you are. I want to see you. The first thing God says after he says his name is, I am compassionate and gracious. I'm merciful. Who am I? I'm merciful. That's what I want you to know, Moses. We see later in the New Testament, Nathan confronts David with his sin, calling Bathsheba to him and having adul committing adultery with her, then killing her husband, this grievous, heinous sin that he's committed. And Nathan finally helps him see that it was him, he committed this heinous sin. He couldn't, he didn't realize it before. And the first thing we have from David, the first thing he says when he realizes his sin, he says, have mercy on me, oh God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. The first thing he does when he realizes his sin is appeals to the mercy of God, to the character of God, and he begs forgiveness. David's not the hero of the story though, God is. He's the one that has mercy. So we go back to the parable and we say, who sees God more clearly? The Pharisee, this holy, upright, righteous man in his own eyes, or the tax collector who asks God for mercy? Well, surely it's the tax collector. The tax collector sees God for who he is as merciful. He sees himself for who he is as a sinner and he pleads with God to have mercy. The irony being, it's the one who won't even look up to heaven who actually sees God. So we see what it looks like to be pure in heart. It's someone that is humble and needy. Someone who mourns their sin, someone who seeks God's mercy and trusts in him to provide it. And as we looked at two weeks ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit, it is the Spirit that opens our eyes. If you're feeling something right now, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Opening our eyes to see God for who he is. It's a work of grace. And if we want to see God work in, his, in this church, we need to see God move like this. We need God to open our eyes. We need to see that the tax collector, though, was not justified because of his own pure heart, but by the grace of God. So I think we could say, okay, he saved himself by having a pure heart. Once he had that pure heart, then God was like, okay, I bless him. No, he was saved by the grace of God. He didn't tap into some divine purity of heart principle and then God blessed him. He was saved and justified by the grace of God. And we go back to this passage, we see Jesus tells him, tells the story that this man went home justified before God, righteous, accepted, forgiven. 
because he appealed to the mercy of God. I needed this. I needed this this week, by the way. I needed to remember. God needed to let some air out of my balloon. I needed to remember that my justification, my righteous standing with God was a gift. It wasn't because I was so great and he, had, he just couldn't help but bless me after that. No. It was a gift. I appealed to the mercy of God. He appeals to the mercy of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, that's what we're doing. You're appealing to God's mercy and saying, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And where we see that mercy most fully revealed is on the cross of Christ. In Romans 3, it says it this way. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, this vindication, this acceptance, this justification is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in the, his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the, at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. On the cross, we see the mercy of God most fully revealed. That, that, that mercy comes to us in faith through a working of the Spirit. That we've got nowhere to go and say, in making an argument for our, the purity of our own hearts, as verse 23 shows us, all have sinned, all of us. None of us is the same person on the inside that we project on the outside. None of us is without sin. None of us has, has a perfect and pure overflow coming out of our hearts of only true worship of God and only pure and obedient behavior. But we're justified that acceptance of God comes by grace. It's a gift and it's a gift that comes through redemption that we're purchased back. How? Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. God sent Christ. If we ever want to know if God is merciful, we see it, we see him most clearly in the cross of Christ. We see him as holy. He punishes sin. And he has to. That's actually just. Imagine a world where crime went unpunished. We see him as righteous, and yet we see him as merciful, as willing to put forth his son, willing to give the life of his son for our lives. I got to tell you about the uh, second most beautiful words that I've ever heard. Uh, for those that, that don't know, uh, Allison and I are five and a half months pregnant uh, with our first child. Uh, we're not going to find out what it is, little baby. This is a very old ultrasound, but I, it was the only picture I could get up in time. Uh, and it has the heartbeat on there in the bottom. And I got to tell you about the second most beautiful words I've ever heard. So this, we went to our 18-week. We did our 20-week our ultrasound at 18 weeks. Um, I don't know why. It's just what we did. Uh, and when we went, they do the ultrasound, and, and, uh, and we're watching it. You have no idea what you're looking at, but we're watching it. And um, 
whatever. They, okay, the doctor will consult you back in this room. And so we go into this room and uh, sit down. The doctor comes in. And in my recollection, Allison remembers it slightly differently, but in my recollection, the first words out of his mouth were, your baby has a hole in their heart. And it was kind of, I'm thinking about what was it like? It was kind of like if you ever like get pulled over and the lights go on and you just kind of flush and you're, you're instantly like, you're like, whoa, it just hit us. And uh, my first thought, I saw Brian shortly after and I needed to talk to somebody about it. It was overwhelming. Saw Brian shortly after and I was like, the, I, I, I will get on that table right now. What part of my heart do you need? Just take it. Can't do that. I'm not fit for that. And Allison, then as the month, we've got, we're waiting for a fetal echo. We need a heart ultrasound to see what's really going on. And as the month goes on, Allison uh, is coming up with ways that we can talk to this child about it and say, well, everybody's got a spiritual hole in their heart, which is what the gospel is teaching us even today, Right? So we're, we're finding ways with God's help and, and with community to process through this, but it's hard. And uh, we go to the fetal echo 18, or a month later now, and, uh, and the ultrasound tech, uh, is, he, he didn't say anything the whole time. And, and what we had heard, it's a, it was a ventricular septal defect. So there's like the walls in between your two ventricles. If there's a hole in there, lung blood gets into heart blood and it can lead to heart murmurs and other problems. You can't uh, you might not be able to play sport, things like that. Or if it's a big enough hole, it needs surgery, open heart surgery. And this ultrasound, and what we saw was like, okay, well, you'll know it's lung blood and heart blood mixing when you see red and blue mixing. And this guy does 40 minutes of ultrasound photos on the baby's heart, and all we're seeing is red and blue. And we have no idea what we're looking at. And he, leave, he's a, he goes, the doctor will come in, He'll take a couple more pictures and he'll tell you what it all means. And we're like, I look to Alice and I'm like, well, I guess our, our baby's got a VSD. And, we're th- and she, she starts crying. I'm, I'm emotional. And the doctor walks in and he's, I'm a fetal heart specialist, pediatrician. And um, I've actually been cheating out there. I've been looking at a lot of these. I'm gonna take some more. I've been cheating out there, but I can confidently tell you your baby's heart is normal. And it hit us like a ton of bricks. We didn't, if you were watching the play-by-play, you would have been like, do they even care? Because it was such a relief that you couldn't even face it. When we talk about justification by grace, when we talk about the redemption that comes in Jesus, he does what I was unable to do. He gets on the table. He goes to the cross to give his heart for ours so that our hearts might be healed, so that our hearts might be normal. His heart stops beating so ours can start. We can experience life now in him. It says of him in Isaiah 53, describing what the cross to come would be, He was assigned with a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. No deceit, no violence. On the cross, the pure hearted dies for impure hearted sinners. 
He takes our place in the grave and then he walks out. The Pharisee was right. The Pharisee was right. God does bless the good. He was just wrong on who was good. There's only one who is good and that's Jesus. And that's why he walks out of the grave vindicated as righteous. But now when we put our faith in him and his life, death, resurrection, we are blessed in him. We are vindicated with the righteousness that he's vindicated with and we are the pure in heart now. We will see God. Not because we got ourselves into the kingdom, but because he did it. First John says it this way. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. We are given the spirit that calls us sons, heirs. Starts to work on us, renew us, transform our hearts, purify them. Now, we now have hearts with hope, hearts that will be like Jesus, hearts that will see Jesus. So the Bible isn't just a manual. It's God showing himself to us, revealing who he is to us. And then one day, though, he's telling us, you're actually going to fully see me. So as we close in gospel application, just ask this, do you see yourself as a sinner? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a sinner in need of God's grace, as corrupted and yet beloved? Maybe today's the day that you say, all right, all right, I'm in on this. I need this Savior. When I did it, I just wrote in a little, my little moleskin notebook. It was a baptism Sunday. I wrote, today I give my life to Jesus Christ. I wish I could find that piece of paper. I cannot. I should just recreate it. Uh, I probably had worse penmanship then. I don't know why I think that, but maybe I did. Either way. It's a simple choice. You see God as merciful, you see yourself as a sinner, and you put your faith in Jesus who has paid for those sins. And honestly, I bring that up because I want to do, I want to do some baptisms. We're Baptists after all, I think. I think that's what we are. We're in a Baptist church. There's a baptismal font behind us. We want to do some baptisms. So if you are hearing this gospel online, in person, and you're saying, I don't think I've ever been in on this. But man, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Let us know because we want to dunk you and proclaim that you have passed from death to life. And then secondly, do you see the mercy of God in the cross of Jesus? Do you see who God is? The Bible is saying over and over, I'm merciful. God is saying I'm merciful when you look at the cross where my son died. You see my mercy most fully displayed. Sin has been dealt with, forgiveness available. And when we look at that window now, we can be reminded God cares about the state of our hearts. But he's given his son to us that we might now become new and beautiful when we put our faith in him. 
We're going to move into a time of communion. Uh, if you didn't get a chance, there's communion cups in the back. Uh, here at Hope, we, uh, we don't ask that you'd be a member of this church or any church. We just ask that you'd be someone who said, yes, I put my faith in Jesus. I am a follower of Christ. We'd love to have you take this communal meal with us. This, again, we do weekly as a reminder in the following the command of Jesus that he told us, the ordinance he put in place, that we remember his body broken for us and his blood shed for us that we might have life in him. We just remember that. Take some time now and even think about these questions. This week, did you, or even now in the pew, do you see yourself as a sinner? And yet do you see, even as you hold the blood and the bread symbolically, the mercy of God and the cross of Jesus. We're gonna to move to a time of worship through song, a couple songs, and then I will pray for us and then we'll take communion, worship through song. Father, we thank you so much that uh, as Romans 3.25 says, you sent Christ to be a sacrifice of atonement, that we were in the wrong, and instead of making us pay for that sin, you sent your son to take our place. He, he was assigned a grave with the wicked. And God, we thank you that he walked out of that grave so that we have hope that our impure hearts might actually be made new when we put our trust in him and that we receive your spirit to start that work of renewal and healing. So now, God, as we, as we sing and as we reflect on this good news, and it is good news, of your grace, your kindness to us in Jesus and now in the spirit, would you bless our time? Would you meet us? Would you lead us into praise of you? It would be with us this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.